0: On the morning of July 5th, Noam Scheiber got a surprising
1: email. A lot of us who covered this woke up to kind of dueling announcements from the Teamsters and UPS, each accusing the other side of walking away from the bargaining table.
0: Noam covers labor in the workplace for the New York Times, and the Teamsters and UPS had been closing in on a contract deal for workers. But then, in the middle of negotiations, it all broke down.
1: The Teamsters say that the talks broke down because UPS said it had nothing left to give. The company says that uh, Teamsters walked away from the table and that the company was prepared to park more.
0: Now, the possibility of a UPS strike is looming. 340,000 workers could walk off the job, upending package delivery across the country.
1: The image of a UPS worker in a lot of people's mind is of the guy or woman in the brown uniform driving the brown truck. But um, there are tens of thousands, many tens of thousands of UPS workers who um, actually work in like sorting facilities, more than half of them are part-timers, so part-timers are a really significant portion of this workforce. And the Teamsters maintain that um, there had just not been enough progress. On wages for part-time workers, and that that, that caused them to, um, you know, to, to walk away, or at least, um, you know, again, they say that UPS walked away, but that caused the uh, the breakdown of the negotiations on the morning of July fifth, and we've kind of been there ever since. The two sides have not returned to the table. There's been a lot of messaging around part-time workers and wages for part-time workers, and meanwhile, we get closer and closer to that actual drop dead date of August first.
0: If a contract isn't ratified by then, it's strike time. Today on the show, imagine every single UPS package not going anywhere. That's more than a third of deliveries in the US. But it's not just the Teamsters. With Hollywood writers and now actors on strike, it's looking like a hot strike summer. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. One reason Noam was so surprised to get that early morning email is that the Teamsters and UPS had been making progress in their talks. For example, UPS had agreed to air-condition all its trucks to keep drivers cool. But big sticking points remain, mainly one stemming from the e-commerce boom. Back when the last contract was negotiated in 2018, there was so much demand for weekend deliveries that UPS and the Teamsters created a new category of worker. These people were supposed to work part-time as drivers and part-time in the warehouse.
1: But the Teamsters say, uh, and I think are are largely right, that um, for the most part, this hybrid never actually was realized in practice. In practice, you just had people driving Tuesday through Saturday instead of Monday through Friday. And they were just paid at a lower rate at about 85, 87% of the full-time driver rate. So that was a big a big issue. But again, that was resolved over that July 4th weekend. So it really felt like um, things were kind of moving toward completion. But this part-time worker wage issue really uh, appears to be large now. The teamsters say that many of their part-time workers around the country work for just above minimum wage You know, you hear the the figure $16, uh, 16 $16.50 an hour mentioned a lot. The company says that on average, part-time employees, uh, once they're kind of fully up to speed after 30 days, make uh, about $20 on average and that they get full health care benefits, pension benefits. So they say that the, the part-time jobs at UPS are unusually generous. And so it's really come down to this, that Teamsters messaging has been um, you know, heavily focused on uh, what they call poverty part-time wages, poverty, poverty part-time jobs, arguing that folks can't live uh, on these wages. If we're going to get a deal, it seems like it's going to have to resolve that issue.
0: Is there a way to know who's right?
1: I mean, the, that's a
0: that's a big discrepancy there between what the teamsters are saying and what UPS is saying in terms of wages.
1: I think we're talking, you know, we're we're just looking at different things. I suspect UPS is in the right ballpark when they say $20 an hour on average after 30 days because the teamsters will tend to focus on Many areas of the country where people are earning sixteen fifty or seventeen or seventeen fifty, hmm. uh, and both things can be true. Obviously, right? <laughs> in certain parts of the country, people can make sixteen fifty an hour, uh, but on average, uh, again, we're talking about more right. than one hundred fifty thousand people. Uh, on average, they can be making twenty dollars an hour. So I, I suspect there's um, there's actually a, a fair amount of overlap in the two positions if you do the math. But it is absolutely the case that there are, there are could well be, you know, tens of thousands of of part time Teamsters workers who are making not that much more than minimum wage.
0: UPS recorded record profits last year. That has has got to be a part of this, or at least a part of the optics, as far as the Teamsters are concerned.
1: No question. Yeah, the company's adjusted net earnings are actually up like seventy percent between uh, twenty. I think that's between. Uh, just before the pandemic and last year, so that's a, a, an amazing <laughs> pandemic yeah. era run. Uh, ten, you know, tens of billions of dollars over that time period. So no question, the Teamsters have long maintained that their workers really sacrificed, um, put their health and safety and lives on the line during the pandemic, and the company really prospered, and that they deserve to be compensated for that. So that's a that's definitely a big part of this. It's it's been part of the messaging, you know, from getting back over a year and uh, continues to be part of the the messaging uh, in the endgame here.
0: If a strike does happen on August 1st, it wouldn't be the first time. Back in 1997, talks between UPS and the Teamsters broke down over a lot of the same issues— job security, wages, and part-time work. They are among thousands of UPS workers around the world holding demonstrations today. They want better wages and pensions and stronger safety and health protection. Another big issue here is subcontracting.
1: The key issue is one of labor's
0: most important issues of the 90s, part-time versus full-time jobs.
1: The situation was actually pretty similar. You know, this is late 90s, so the economy was doing really well. And when the economy does well, UPS tends to do well, so they they were pretty profitable at that point, um, part-time work was also an issue back then. I think there had been a a pretty steady increase in the number of part-time workers at UPS. And there was a lot of frustration on the part of part-timers and and the union really elevated that issue. So I think in in some sense, um, a lot of similarities. Um, I think the other thing that happened in that case was um, maybe the company underestimating the Teamsters and their ability to stay unified and actually pull off a strike. There had been a um, a pretty high stakes election within the Teamsters the year before. Um, Ron Kerry, who'd been kind of the reformist faction, had won re-election. He had taken on uh, Jimmy Hoffa, the son of the late famous Teamsters leader. That had been a very uh, difficult, contentious election. And so I think the company believed that um, the union would have a tough time staying unified and just wouldn't be able to keep it's rank and file together to pull that off, and that that proved to be a mistake. I think many people agree in retrospect that the company probably did underestimate the ability of the union to pull that off.
0: UPS also knows that if there's a strike, they could lose business to their competitors. That's what happened last time.
1: I think one big legacy of that strike is a sense that it, it was damaging. Um, in addition to the kind of hundreds of millions of dollars in lost business uh, during the. To two plus weeks that the Teamsters were out on strike, there was a sense that um, a lot of customers had previously exclusively relied on UPS. Hmm. And many, in large part, as a result of that strike started diversifying. And so UPS lost business uh, as a result of that. Many, many customers turned to other carriers. Now, to some extent, that loss of business was masked by the rise of e-commerce over the past uh, you know, two decades. Uh, and so it, it's probably not as evident if you look at the, the kind of top line numbers uh, since then. But I think that there was a real sense that that was a real impetus for diversification on the part of a lot of customers and a concern that that kind of diversification move away from UPS could, you know, could be uh, another, uh, another consequence of another strike.
0: You know, I I noticed that UPS's competitors are already trying to do this right now. Like, they're vying for the big contracts. Not not so much you and me, but like a, a hospital or a big office supplier or a big company. Like, those are very profitable contracts.
1: Yeah, no question. My colleagues at the Times wrote a good story about this a few days ago. Um, UPS does a lot of, you know, pretty profitable business on shipping goods that just um, kind of um, can go bad, can spoil, can expire. That's a pretty lucrative part of their business. And I think other carriers would really like to have more of that business. That said, I think there's pretty widespread agreement on the part of people who track the stuff, you know, former UPS executives, former, you know, kind of logistics consultants, industry experts that, no carrier, and even the sum total of all the other characters, you know, the FedEx and Amazon, to some extent, the the Postal Service, they do not have the capacity to make up for a stoppage of UPS service. Hmm. So there are definitely going to be real backlogs uh, supply chain snarls. This is not going to go smoothly. It's not as if all these competitors can just jump in, you know, swoop in and and pick up the slack. This this um this will be felt uh, through the supply chain. It'll be felt by consumers, and it'll it'll take a while um for the effects to kind of wind their way through the system.
0: When we come back, how the Teamsters are trying to shake off the legacy of the Hoffa family. If you want to understand what is happening in the United States right now, you really need to understand what's happening with the courts, the law, and the Supreme Court. The battle between democracy and whatever this cage match is that we're witnessing, it's going to be won and lost at the ballot box, but it's also going to be won and lost in the courtrooms. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, I host Slate's legal podcast, Amicus, and we are doubling our output bringing you weekly episodes from here on in because how else can we keep an eye on the many trials of Donald Trump, the conservative legal movement's assaults on our rights, the Supreme Court's latest slate of environmental gutting, gun safety eviscerating cases on the docket. So follow Amicus wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes dropping every Saturday morning. Let's talk a little bit about Sean O'Brien, the the Teamsters president here. I mean, he's a kind of fascinating figure. Tell me about him.
1: Yeah, really fascinating guy. Um, uh, you know, actually, pretty young guy, just in his late forties, but has been a union leader for many years. He comes from the Boston area, and in his early days, was kind of more aligned with um, the Jimmy Hoffa faction of the union, which is seen as more establishment, more conservative. Um, At a certain point, he kind of has a falling out with Hoffa and the Hoffa faction and becomes more outspoken in in criticizing them. He kind of aligns with a reformist uh, group within the union called Teamsters for a Democratic Union. They embrace his campaign for the presidency uh, in 2021. And uh, O'Brien wins that campaign, you know, really being critical of Hoffa O'Brien criticized Hoffa for the last UPS contract, which created this kind of hybrid arrangement that a lot of rank and file members really hate. I did not support the last agreement because there were concessions. We need to stop giving stuff to companies that have record profits. We need to stop giving concessions to companies, no matter how big or how small they are. And yes, he said that Hoffa had basically just been soft on the company, had um hmm. allowed too many concessions in that contract, and you know, uh, just signaled to just signal TPS that he wasn't gonna strike, wasn't gonna put up too much of a fight. Now, Hoffa wasn't actually running for re-election, he had served many terms <laughs> uh you know, more than 20 years, uh running the Teamsters. Hoffa wasn't running, but a kind of Hoffa line candidate was. O'Brien's main opponent, and uh, O'Brien was very critical of him, you know, not just about the need to, um, to get tougher on UPS for the sake of a better contract, though obviously that's a really big deal with more than 300,000 members who work at UPS, but talked about the importance of doing this to then take on the next big target, which was Amazon.
0: For O'Brien, Amazon is clearly top of mind. Here he is almost exactly a year ago, testifying in front of Congress.
1: To put it plainly, it is wrong for our government to be giving taxpayer dollars in the form of federal contracts to companies like Amazon. You are rewarding employers who repeatedly, knowingly, and purposely violate federal labor laws, drive down wages and standards in core teams through industries, and create dangerous working conditions. Amazon has loomed very large for the labor movement for you know a good 10-15 years. And the Teamsters really see Amazon as, as you know, if possible, the, the even bigger prize. And so, or a prize is probably uh a, a way of putting it, but it's it, an even bigger priority for their members, because as long as Amazon's there and is not unionized, the feeling at uh, the Teamsters and across organized labor is that it will undermine labor standards, labor conditions across a whole variety of industries, including logistics. So um, so O'Brien's argument was. We need this not just for our UPS members who were shortchanged by their last contract, but we need this to show Amazon employees that being a part of a union really matters and that it really can produce concrete gains and improve your standard of living. So it was a kind of a uh, double-edged argument. And he really pressed this pretty aggressively Um, since he was uh, sworn in uh, in March of last year. He's continued to be, you know, pretty, pretty tough in his talk, talking about how this is a a kind of historically important battle and that the Teamsters wouldn't back down. And, you know, they could well end up striking the messaging from the union, you know, even or maybe especially (laughs) through the last few weeks has a time talked about how a strike appears to be imminent. So they've been been very tough. And I think O'Brien, you know, kind of has an interesting political situation to navigate. On the one hand, it appears that um, they've actually been pretty successful at getting some concessions from the company uh, on the heat safety issues that I mentioned, yeah. on um, eliminating this hybrid category that they felt, um, you know, had drivers do the same work for less pay. So he's actually, you know, done pretty well so far. Um, but you know, if you've argued that um, that you're going to get much tougher than your predecessor. And you're not going to settle for anything other than like a historically favorable contract. You got to sell that (laughs) and you got to you got to look like you're extracting every ounce of concession out of the employer. And so I think there's some political challenge for him to both get a good deal, but also sell that good deal to his membership. And so I think we're probably seeing a bit of that play out now.
0: I I read a story you wrote about him um when he became the Teamsters president and it's clear he has like a little bit of a history of throwing some sharp elbows. And I, I wonder like are are the rank and file behind him? Are they supportive of him right now?
1: Yeah, I think he's done a pretty good job of unifying the union. He, you know, from day one was really focused laser-like on this contract fight. They started their, you know, their kind of internal organizing, getting people uh, ready to petition. Um, This reformist group that I mentioned, the Teamsters for a Democratic Union, had really been a source of a lot of grassroots energy within the union over the years and, and had kind of been pushing the union to get more militant. So I think the fact that that um that, that group supported him and continues to support him actually his his number 2 official at the union uh kind of comes out of that that reformist movement so yeah i think they're they're pretty unified um and o'brien has done a, a pretty good job kind of aligning you know the organizing and the preparations and the messaging so um yeah so far so good though obviously he he still has to land the plane i think
0: my admittedly outdated mental image of the teamsters but i suspect this may be true for other people is of a sort of like tough guy jimmy hoffa both jimmy hoffa's era um what does o'brien want his era of teamsters to be regarded as
1: there definitely is that kind of uh, teamsters mystique i think o'brien embodies that to some extent too he is kind of a tough guy. You know, he's got a kind of shaved head, <laughs> firm chin, you know, well, well-defined well chin. And, you know, he looks like a guy who's, you know, who's, uh, who's unloaded a few trucks in his day. He's a, you know, he's kind of a barrel-chested guy. Um, and, you know, he's, he can be kind of gruff. He, he talks very tough. Um, he talks about sort of crooks in corporate America and crooked politicians. So he definitely embodies some of that Teamsters mystique. I think, the way that O'Brien would put his own spin on it is, you know, we, we can't just talk tough uh, and then sell our members out. We've really got to deliver. And the leadership of the union for too long just became kind of comfortable and insulated and inbred and lost touch with the rank and file members and got too clubby and too cozy with the employers, particularly with UPS. And so he is kind of Um, trying to ride this energy from the rank and file and vindicate the demands of the rank and file. So he's the kind of tough-talking Teamsters president who's actually of Hmm. of the people, not the the tough-talking Teamsters president who then becomes a little too uh, in love with the trappings of power. Uh, Now, you know, in fairness, Hoffa will say that the last contract was a good contract and that they really had to work with UPS. To figure out this new e-commerce era and the era of weekend deliveries uh so he defends that contract i interviewed him uh you know during the the transition to o'brien and you know he, he continues to defend that, that contract and, and their work under him but um but yeah i think that that was the critique that um that o'brien made and that was that that's what he'd like to be remembered as as the guy who kind of returned the presidency of the teamsters to the rank and file
0: all oh strikes or, or strike negotiations are PR battles to some degree or another. And, you know, I'm just thinking in the past few years, Americans have, whether they wanted to or not, learned a lot about the supply chain and how their stuff gets from one place to another. I wonder who has the upper hand here in the PR battle if people do not get their things?
1: People like to say that, um, like wars, strikes are waged because one side or the other has miscalculated. And Hmm. we don't know which side is miscalculated. O'Brien has said many times that if there is a strike on August 1st, it will be UPS choosing to strike itself. (laughs) So they have clearly placed the blame uh, squarely on the company. Um, UPS, for its part, has said, you know, we... Totally understand their demands. We've negotiated constructively. We've made a number of concessions already. Um, we're here anytime. You know, we're we're ready to finish this thing up. And so let's let's be reasonable. Um, if there is a strike, it's going to be bad for both sides, uh, and no one wants that. So both sides are are trying to present reasonableness uh, as you would expect. And the teamsters again have have tried very clearly to say. The ball's in UPS's court. If there is a strike, it's because they chose it, and they chose not to to make good on um, all the hard work that the part-timers have put in over the past several years during the pandemic.
0: If the Teamsters strike, they'll be joining the Writers Guild of America and Hollywood's Actors Union, who both say that the movie and TV studios are shortchanging them in the streaming era. On Thursday, the Screen Actors Guild slash American Federation of Television and Radio Artists announced its work stoppage.
1: What happens here is important because what's happening to us is happening across all fields of labor. Our union and our sister unions and the unions around the world are standing by us as well as other labor unions because at some point the jig is up
0: I asked Noam if he thought this was a moment of organized labor reasserting power or one where labor's back is to the wall.
1: It's interesting because there was a sense of optimism in the late 90s when the teamsters strike happened in 97 that labor was kind of ascended you know partly the job market was tightening and that was giving workers and unions a bit more leverage and and that proved pretty fleeting uh, obviously the the long term trend in the decades that followed was uh, fewer and fewer union members percentage wise in in the country i think this time what strikes me more than anything else is A kind of um, worker consciousness and a solidarity across industries. You see writers who are going to like Teamsters pickets. You know, there's I think 20 years ago, 25 years ago, most white collar workers would not have seen the Teamsters fight as their fight. And I think the last few years, you know, obviously the pandemic played a big role in this in the sense that people's lives were put on the line um, during the pandemic. Um, but, you know, more broadly, the backdrop of rising inequality over a period of several decades has really kind of created this worker consciousness across classes, across industries that you just didn't really see before the last few years. And so I, I think that's that's really um notable. You see white-collar workers at a company like Amazon or Starbucks uh, proclaiming solidarity with the blue-collar workers at the same companies. Uh, This is a thing that we've just seen uh, a lot. There was a a Writers Guild rally in Chicago, actually. Uh, There are about 100 writers who are members of the the Writers Guild in Chicago, in the Chicago area. And they had a rally, I, I think, back in May. And they got hundreds more than 500 union supporters out there most of whom were not writers (laughs) Um, you know they were teamsters they were teachers there were other service sector union members so this this um this kind of cross industry cross class cross union solidarity i think is is something that really stood out to me in this moment you know i think a lot of white collar workers have historically seen themselves as like proto-managers or management-adjacent, you know, Hmm. not locked in this battle with management. And I think that actually has changed. The psychology of that has really changed both because of the pandemic, Uh, there's a generational shift. I think there's a much uh, greater tendency to see oneself... As a worker with worker interests, if you are, you know, in your 20s and entering a, you know, and entered a tough job market, than if you're like me and in your 40s and you graduated from college in the late 90s. So um, I think there are some reasons to think that this shift could be a little more lasting, but you know, hard to say. There are certain things that clearly did change, like these wage increases, like the increase in leverage on the part of workers, those do appear to have receded a bit in the last several months.
0: The last time we had you on this show was to talk about amazon and and Amazon unionization. You mentioned that Sean O'Brien's end game would be to unionize Amazon. Um, I wonder, like, is that in the back of his head as he is in these UPS negotiations and and does success or failure in this area carry over into whatever happens with Amazon?
1: Yeah, I think Amazon looms really large, both for the Teamsters and again, for, for the entire labor movement. Amazon now touches so many different industries, healthcare, retail, logistics, fashion, on and on and on, Hollywood Hollywood uh, production, labor leaders, um, you know, across industries, if they haven't already, and many probably have, are sort of hammering out their own Amazon strategies. Um, it looms in- incredibly large for the Teamsters. They see Amazon as really undermining their standards. Um, It's very difficult to have a single large player in an industry like logistics unionized and everyone else not unionized. So the Teamsters kind of get that for um, not just for workers who are at Amazon, but for their own workers, uh, their own members who are currently at UPS. If they are going to be able to maintain high standards at UPS, they have to try to unionize the rest of the industry. And Amazon plays an increasingly big role in that.
0: Right now, Amazon only has one unionized facility in the U.S. It's the JFK-8 warehouse in Staten Island. That union effort by the upstart Amazon Labor Union and its president, Chris Smalls, succeeded back in April of 2022. But since then, the union's efforts have stalled. Chris Smalls and Sean O'Brien have met to talk about their common goals, but union politics are complicated.
1: The Teamsters are pretty sensitive to not be seen uh and in practice not to sort of encroach um on the jurisdiction of mm-hmm. another union. That's something that's that's really sensitive uh across the labor movement, uh this idea that um, you know, that one union might poach in the backyard of the other union. There have been some very bitter <laughs> jurisdictional conflicts uh fought in the history of the labor movement. And and so they they definitely don't want to look like they're, you know, they're they're trying to encroach uh, in an unseemly way, or trying to bigfoot them in any way, I think the Teamsters have really tried to focus on the drivers, um, the uh, Amazon uh, delivery drivers, and they are actually not direct employees of Amazon. Amazon has what they call delivery service partners, which are contractors that run fleets of those, you know, those blue gray trucks that you see delivering packages on the streets so those drivers actually work for those contractors and then amazon you know hires those those contracting services um the teamsters are trying to organize those and actually um they have actually successfully done that in in one uh, case in southern california amazon is contesting this but they have um, hammered out, they've unionized and hammered out a deal with one of these delivery service partners in Southern California. I think that's kind of a a model for how they see this playing out going forward. But the com- the company is very much rejects the union's position on that. Um, it's very much a kind of a nascent thing. But I think to the extent that there's a sort of division of labor here uh, among unions, I think the Teamsters probably will throw more and more resources and energy at the drivers. Uh, you'll have other unions, the Amazon labor union, uh, being one of them. Another one is the RWDSU, which tried to organize a big fulfillment center in Alabama a couple of years ago. Um, I think you'll have other unions go at the warehouses and the teamsters will probably focus more on, on the drivers.
0: Okay. I, I know that you probably do not want to do this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, is this thing going to a strike?
1: You know, it's it's a really good question. Uh, if you'd asked me a week ago, I would have said no. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of looked like things were, um, they were sort of dramatic, but still basically going to according to plan. Both sides understood that there's a kind of performative element of it, but they both still appear to be keeping their eyes on the date and the timetable. Um, at this point, we're getting so close to a point at which it would be difficult for the Teamsters to both negotiate the deal and then have their members ratify it. But I think you have to say the chances of a strike have significantly increased. Now, whether that means they've gone from 10% to 25% or from 25% to 75%, that's a little harder for me to say, but I think it's hard to deny that the chances of a strike have significantly increased in the last week or so.
0: Noam Scheiber, thank you so much for talking with me.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to do it.
0: Noam Scheiber covers labor issues for The New York Times. And one quick disclosure before we go, Slate's staff journalists, like me, are part of the Writers Guild, which we referenced in this episode. We are not striking though, it's just the television and screenwriters. We are not covered under their contract. Okay, that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Patrick Fort. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. And TBD is part of the larger What Next family. We are also a part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you're a fan of the show, the best way to support us is to become a Slate Plus member. You get all your lovely Slate podcasts with no ads. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.